You are watching Christ's Commission Fellowship. Changing lives for eternity. Have you ever wondered what the disciples asked Jesus to teach them? Think about it. The disciples did not ask Jesus to teach them how to preach. The disciples did not ask Jesus to teach them how to divide the bread and feed thousands of people. The only recorded request that you find in the Bible is this request made by the disciples. Everybody, let's read this together. It happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Everybody please read. Lord, teach us to pray. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Tell me why. In your mind, why? Think about it. Not preaching. Not counseling. Teach us to pray. Can I tell you my analysis? Just my own. I believe they saw in Jesus the connection between his power and prayer. They saw the connection between the intimacy of Jesus with God the Father and prayer. They saw the ministry of Jesus, his effectiveness, always connected with prayer. Because Jesus modeled prayer. Because prayer changes a lot of things. Can I tell you about what prayer can do? Somebody once said, Prayer changes many things. But the most important thing, it will change. It will change you. It will change us. Say that with me. Prayer will change us. So I'd like us all to learn how to pray. To know how to speak to God is more important than knowing how to speak to men. Let me repeat. To know how to speak to God is more important than knowing how to speak to men. Andrew Murray said, not power with men, but power with God is the first thing. Let me repeat. Not power with men, but power with God is the first thing, the most important. And that's why I want us to learn how to pray. As Charles Spurgeon once said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Are we all committed to learn how to pray? Folks, you want to learn how to pray? All right. Jesus expanded in Luke how to pray. So you find that in the Gospel of Matthew. So he tells them what not to do, and he tells them what to do. So how are we not to pray? When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corner so that they may be seen by men. In Tagalog, these people pray to impress people. Jesus says you are not going to do that. I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, prayer is never to impress people. In the times of Jesus, they have a habit. 
they pray three times a day. Morning, 9 o'clock, lunchtime, and 3 p.m. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, will purposely go to the Visoria in the street corner, and then they raise their hands, and they begin to pray. They wanted to impress people. Jesus said prayer is never to impress people. Prayer is a private communion with God. It's from the heart. So he tells you how you should pray. When you pray, go into your inner room. That means it is best for you to make it into a habit. When he expects us to pray regularly, you find a place, conducive place, wherever it is. I praise God, CCF is completing its prayer room. We will have prayer rooms. You, if you need a quiet place just to pray, we will have rooms for you. We have prayer places in Mount Makiling, except it's too far. But you find a place in your house. You pray along with God. Close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We pray because we believe God listens. God answers. And then He tells you, be careful what you are not supposed to do. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles, as the pagans will do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, do not try to impress God with long prayers. You keep repeating. How many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Raise your hands. In this country, we are all familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Now, don't call it the Lord's Prayer. Call it the Lord's Model Prayer. He taught us how to pray. It is a model. It is not His prayer. It is the prayer for us to learn. But for me, when I was a not yet a believer, the Lord's Prayer to me is a punishment. Because I remember when I would confess my sin to somebody, and that person will tell me, all right, you go. You say the Lord's Prayer 30 times. So for me, the Lord's Prayer is... It's a chore. It's, I don't enjoy the Lord's Prayer because they tell me, you just keep praying that 30 times. If I committed more sin, 50 times, okay? Sometimes 20 times. But I realized when I studied the Bible, it is completely opposite to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus is saying, you don't try to twist my arm because you are repeating something so many times. Jesus says, you never do that. Notice, he's very emphatic. Do not use meaningless repetition. Anything can become meaningless when you keep repeating it without thinking of the meaning. The Lord's Prayer is beautiful. I'm not saying don't repeat it. As long as you understand the meaning and you pray from the heart. But what's bad is when people just repeat. I know some people, I've been in prayer meetings, they just babble certain words. Okay? Totally, you don't know the meaning. They don't even know the meaning. The Bible says don't use meaningless repetition, thinking you will convince me to answer your prayer because I feel sorry that you keep repeating and repeating. You know, God is not like many earthly fathers. So how do you pray? Well, he tells us, do not be like them. Your father knows what you need. God knows. So you don't have to keep repeating. May I suggest you study the prayer of Jesus. He tells them pray long prayers. I tell our pastors, be careful when you're asked to pray publicly. Don't pray so long that by the time you're finished, everybody's asleep. 
Jesus prayed short prayer. Shortest prayer. Father, glorify your name. That's it. Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. The longest recorded prayer of Jesus is John 17. And it is really not that long. So be careful. When you pray, you are talking to God. Do not use meaningless repetition. Don't think you are twisting the arm of God. So the first thing I'd like you to understand, today's message, all right? Everybody, are you ready? Let's read this together. The prayer that changes lives. This is one prayer that will change lives. Would you like to learn how to pray this prayer? Prayer does change things. All kinds of things. But the most important thing, it changes us. I love this quotation from R.C. Sproul. He said, prayer does change things. All kinds of things. But the most important thing, it changes what? It changes is us. It changes us. So my outline is very simple. As you study the prayer that changes lives, would you like to learn how to pray that changes lives, including your life? All right. Three basic outline, but one major point. The prayer that changes life. This prayer will change life. You know why? It will change our perspective. It will change our priorities. It will change our place of trust. The object of your trust will change when you pray this prayer. Are we ready? Okay, let's begin. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Together. Pray then in this way. Together, everybody. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Notice, the first thing he wants you to learn is prayer is all about relationship. Our Father. Our Father, referring to God, is radical. It was not used that way in the Old Testament. In fact, to refer God as a Father is only referred to 15 times. But when it comes to the teaching of Jesus, the gospel alone, it is used over 170 times, just by Jesus alone, that God is our Father. It was radical. It is something that they don't think of. But God wants you to know God is our Father. Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, God is your Father. Now, for most of us, it does not mean much. Let me tell you why. In my years of ministry, I've seen many people who grew up with dysfunctional families. You find it hard to relate to God as your father because there are many people who grew up without a father. Or if they have a father, the father is reckless, irresponsible, abusive. So instead of bringing comfort to your soul, when you think of God as our Father, sometimes you withdraw because you have a very bad experience with your Father. Well, let me tell you, God is not like that. Think of the best Father in the world, and He is infinitely much better. I understood this more about God when I became a father. I remember when I became a father, my eyes were opened to what it means 
that God loves me, that God is our Father. In fact, the word used in the New Testament is Abba, from the Aramaic word Daddy. Jesus is saying, God is your Daddy. You call him Papa. That's the Greek version. Intimacy. And it is so true. I tell my office, when my children were growing up, anytime any one of them will call me, you can disturb me. Because I want to give time to my children. I want my children to know they are priority. They can see me without any appointment. They need help. I will always be there. We have access. But more than that, I want what's best for my children. I remember one day when one of my sons was sick. I looked at him. I began to cry. I said, Lord, can you transfer his sickness to me? I find him having a hard time breathing. And I was thinking, if I, a sinful father, will love my son so much that I'm willing to substitute myself, my health for his health, I was thinking, how much more does God love us? So my friend, I want you to know one thing. God is your father. He loves you. And he wants what's best for you. The only question I want to ask you is this. Do you really know him as your father? For example, in the same Sermon of the Mount, Jesus uses an amazing concept, but repeats the same phrase. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, everybody read, how much more will your Father who is in heaven? Exactly the same word, our Father who is in heaven. Give what is good to those who ask Him. In other words, prayer should give you confidence if you know whom you are praying to. So may I suggest, when you pray today privately, stop those high-sounding, polluting words. Don't use the King James Version, Oh, thou mighty God. Okay. Thou knowest the need of thy children. May I suggest when you pray, simple English, in, in fact, use Tagalog, Lord, masakit ang puso ko. Okay lang yan, okay. Whatever language you use, okay? But don't try to impress him. He's our father. Tell your neighbor, God is our Heavenly Father. But how do you become His child? This is just introduction. My friend, not everyone can pray this prayer. You know why? Because not everyone is a child of God. Many people don't realize this. Some of you are here today. You are creatures of God. But you may not be a child of God. You know why? The qualification is very clear. As many as received Him, Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God. And that's why sometimes your prayer life is dull. You have religion, but no relationship. You need to understand. So today, as I give this message, think about it. Are you or are you not a child of God? How do you know you're a child of God? There will be evidence. But the first step is humble yourselves, come to Jesus, because the Bible says Jesus is our mediator between God and man, Jesus. And because of Jesus... God is our Father. That's why Jesus commands us. When you pray, you pray in my name, in the name of Jesus. That's why when we pray, we always say, in the name of Jesus. Because through Jesus, you become a child of God.
Question, how do you know you're a child of God? Look at their behavior. Like father, like son. I don't judge people, but I tell people, watch your behavior. Ask yourself, am I really a child of God? Or do I have religion? Is Jesus a passport to heaven? If Jesus is just a passport to heaven, you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. And that, my friend, will bring damnation. Salvation is by grace. You cannot earn it. It's through Christ. But once you understand the grace of God, you will change. Notice, how do you pray? It changes your priorities. Pray this way. Our Father who is in, say that with me, heaven. Now listen, that's important. God is not, is no ordinary Father. He is in heaven, meaning the supreme being, all-powerful, almighty, and He can provide if it's good for us. He may not provide if it's not good for us. He knows. Why do I say this is so important? Who are in heaven? Listen. One of my friends, the eldest son of the family, or one, apparently he was the leader. When his father passed away, he was given the responsibility of looking at the estate, cleaning up the papers, and he read his diary. You see, he never liked his father. He never had good relationship with his father. But when he read the diary, he began to cry because he discovered that his father mortgaged their house so that they can go to school. He never understood what the father went through to allow them to have good education because the father is not expressive. When he discovered what his father did, he said, Peter, it was too late. I wanted to show love to my father, but I never had a chance. He passed away. My friend, your father who is in heaven loves you. He does not have to mortgage his house to provide for you, but he loves you. Therefore, if you know he loves you, what must you do? Notice, it changes your priorities. Hallowed be your name. It changes your perspective. When I pray, I realize God is my father. He loves me. It changes my priorities. What is the priority? Hallowed. What is the meaning of the word hallowed? The word hallowed is from this Greek word, hagadso. The idea is, Lord, may your name be glorified. May your name be set apart. You are the supreme. You are the most important being. I treasure you the most. That's the meaning of the word hallowed. If you hallowed anything, if you, if you make it primary, if you make it supreme, and it is not God, you are doomed to be disappointed. I've seen many families. They make their children hallowed. They make their children the center of the universe. It's called child-centric parenting. Can I tell you what it will do? You are doomed to be disappointed. I remember this mother. After all I've done, this father, after all we've done for our child, how come they're treating us this way? Very simple. Any person, any being that you treat as God, as the most important, you go out of your way because they become the most important person in your life, you are doomed to be disappointed. You know why? In the case of this story, this child felt so sakal. Sakal in English means suffocated. You know, some parents are so loving without knowing you are destroying your children because you are loving them the wrong way 
It's called helicopter parenting. You try to do everything for them. You try to prevent them from having problems. So you are all around. They feel so choked. In Tagalog, they feel sakal. So when they become teenagers, their dream in life is to get away from you. And then you get the shock of your life. What happened to my children? After college, they left. Anything that you hallowed more than God is doomed to disappoint you. So this prayer will change your life. My highest priority is what? To bring glory to God. That's my prayer. Now, if you pray that prayer, hallowed be your name, may your name be glorified through all the earth. That's your priority now. How would that impact your life? You will glorify him. I remember this Christian leader asking me for counsel. Not from CCF, so don't imagine somebody from CCF. I said, when you make that decision to leave your organization, I said, I'm going to warn you. The day you leave your organization this way, this moment, will you bring honor to God? I praise God for this leader. He thought about it. If I leave this organization, if I make this decision, will it bring glory to God? I said, there is your answer. You want to know God's will for your life? You ask yourself, will this bring glory to God? Whatever you do, husband and wife, you want to make decisions? Ask yourself, will this bring glory to God? If it will not, don't. Whatever you do, you bring glory to God. Notice, your priority changes. Your kingdom come. What does it mean your kingdom come? The Bible is very clear. The kingdom of God, our Father, is not just a loving Father. Our Father is King. He's going to come again. You see, the kingdom of heaven, for many people, the kingdom of God is not very clearly taught. The kingdom of God, yes, is in our midst. It's in our heart. That's true. When Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, He is King. So, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is in our midst. Yes, He is King. In any kingdom, you need a king, you have a sovereign, and you have subjects, you have a king, and you have followers. That's true. But the Bible talks about a literal kingdom also. It's future tense. You need to understand, when you pray this prayer, Jesus is saying you pray that the kingdom of God will be answered very soon. Let's look at what the Bible says. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. The day will come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Who is the accuser of the brethren? The devil. The Bible tells us right now you have two kingdoms side by side. The kingdom of darkness Satan, his influence, that's why this world is evil, that's why you have suffering, you have pain, and you have the kingdom of God. But the day will come when the kingdom of God will be fully manifested, the devil completely removed. But that day is not today. You must pray for that kingdom to be ushered in. We have a part. The Bible tells us in Revelation very clearly. Please read this. 
the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. You need to understand. Your values cannot be dependent on this world. You know how this changes my life? It changes my priorities, my values. Folks, listen to me. If you are ignorant of this truth, that there's going to be a coming kingdom, you will set your hope, your ambition, will all be the temporal things of this world. Because for you, this is all you are going to get. Everything in this world. But my friend, the Bible tells me the opposite. Everything in this world will be changed, will be destroyed. What is eternal? The kingdom of God. It's going to come. Whether you like it or not, whether you are part of that kingdom or you are not, it does not matter. It is coming. And Jesus says, you pray this prayer regularly so that you are reminded, Lord, my values cannot be the things of this world. And you know why I like you to think of that kingdom? The Bible tells us it's a beautiful kingdom. Everybody read this. Some of you are in pain. I know it. But please read this. He will wipe away, everybody read, every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any, read, death. No longer any mourning. No longer any crying. No longer any pain. Now, all of you who are over 60, you appreciate this verse. No more pain. Back pain, shoulder pain, the heart pain. <laughs> Praise God, no more pain. What else? The first thing said, pass away. Behold, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Friends, the truth. In this world, there is pain. In this world, there is injustice. But be of good cheer. The Bible is very clear. You know, people have accused Christians of dreaming that our hearts is always thinking about the future and we are no earthly good. My friend, if those dreams are just dreams, then I agree with them. Christianity is the opiate of the mind. It's like an opium. However, if those dreams are true and they are real, then it is the most sensible thing to do. You set your heart on the things that are real, that are eternal. And I don't know about you. Are you excited that Jesus is coming soon? Yes or no? Do you know the book of Isaiah? Describe. Yeah, you can clap. Praise God. I don't know about you, but I am headed to a wonderful place. You know, the book of Isaiah tells us, I don't have time to read all the verses. The book of Isaiah talks about he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And then he talks about what will happen. You know what will happen? Look at the picture. When the kingdom of God is here, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion together. A little boy will lead them. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. Beautiful picture. Notice, they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Everybody read this. For the earth 
will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then, in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. Who is the root of Jesse? Jesus, the great-great-great-grandson of Jesse. The Bible tells us, ladies and gentlemen, that day is coming. The lion and the tiger and the leopard will become vegetarian. They won't eat us anymore. And if you have, and young kids will play. No need to worry. No harm. They will not hurt or destroy because in the kingdom of God, righteousness dwells. Beautiful place. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, what's your part? This is your part. The, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and the end will come. In other words, the reason why the kingdom of God is not yet here is because of God's mercy. God is saying this good news has to be preached to all the ends of the earth. Why do you think CCF has CCF beyond? Why do you think we're investing money and resources to the places where the gospel is not yet preached? Why? My friend, because my part is to help fulfill the conditions of the coming of the kingdom of heaven, the coming of the kingdom of God. I want to proclaim the good news. You ask yourself, will this change your life if you pray this prayer? Lord, thy kingdom come. Ask yourself, are you bringing people to his kingdom? How can you pray, thy kingdom come, and you don't care about expanding his kingdom? How can you pray this prayer, thy kingdom come, when you don't share the gospel? So this prayer will change your priorities. And notice how powerful this prayer is. It says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will. You know why this is so liberating? No longer my will, no longer your will, God's will. Do you realize the problem of many Christians? You know why you don't have joy? Because you want to be in control. You want to control people. Friends, you better realize you are not in control. The earlier you surrender the control of your life to our Father who is in heaven, the more joyful you will become. Instead of fighting people, you say, Lord, this is what I want, but it's okay, not my will. Example, Jesus. Look at his prayer. Mark 14, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. Wow. Look at his prayer. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Beautiful. I love this prayer. Most of us don't pray like this. Do you know why you fight with other Christians? You know why you fight with people? Because you cannot have it your way. I've discovered it's not my way. My way is not important. His way is more important. And if God's way is most important, I surrender to Him. I do my best. But sometimes what I want may not be what He wants. Sometimes the board may overrule me. That's fine. I tell women, I tell children, you appeal to your father. You tell your father. But if your father says, no, 
So be it. You ask God. You see, this prayer will really change your life. Lord, my priority, your glory, your kingdom, and your will. Beautiful. Can I tell you why it will change your life? Because it's all about Him. This prayer has six prayer requests. The first three deals with God, your glory, your kingdom, and your will. Now, let me give you a test. How many of you are students? Raise your hands. Students, raise your hands. That means you are still in school or homeschool. Raise your hands. Higher, higher. I'm looking at you. Now, let me ask you, when you're in school, do you study in such a way that you bring glory to God? Is your behavior in such a way that others will be attracted to the kingdom of God? Do you commit to do God's will? You see, it impacts your life. How many of you are in business? Raise your hand. You are professionals. Raise your hand. Higher, higher. Those of you in the office, let me ask you, at work, do you glorify God's name? The way you conduct your business, the way you interact with people, is God glorified? Will you attract people to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of God? Are you doing God's will? Let me tell you a true story of a pastor who was so hardworking, he had no time for his children. And one day the wife asked him, I want a few moments with you. And the wife said, your children are growing up without you. I cannot tell you what to do. But I'm just going to tell you one thing. You need to know your priorities. You are responsible for this family. She left. Ladies, that's how you talk to your husband. Short, succinct, you are responsible. Man, this guy, by the way, this guy is a world-famous pastor. I met him. He said he got the shock of his life. He began sitting down. What is God's will? He discovered he can delegate many things, but he can never delegate being a father. He cannot delegate being a husband. And you know how it helped him? One day in his church, he promised his son a ball game. So around 4 o'clock, 4.30, he was about to leave the office. The secretary said, Sir, somebody's here to see you. He said, No, I, I don't have time to see that person. I have four other pastors. They can take care of him. But what would I tell him? He wants to see you. Tell him, I promised my son to go to the ball game with him. You mean I will tell him that? You know, this man went down. From his office, he saw the man. The man stopped him. Sir, I really need to see you. He said, I'm really sorry. I cannot see you. There are four other men that can help you. Sir, you don't know what's happening to me. My family is falling apart. I need to talk to you. You know what this man of God said? I have four other pastors that can help you. But my son has only one father. I need to spend time with him. Friends, you need to know the will of God for your life. 
And you will only know the will of God if you study the Bible. So this prayer, thy will be done on earth, means you are committed to know God's will. You are committed to surrender to God's will. God will not always answer the way you want it. This mother prayed for his son. Don't let my son leave home. The son left home when he was 16 years old. The mother was devastated. Lord, how come you didn't answer my prayer? Can I tell you that story? A few years later, the son came back. The son came back a new person because the son encountered the Lord Jesus while he was in Rome. Who was this young man who encountered Jesus while away from home, living a rebellious life? He is none other than the famous Saint Augustine. God answered the prayer of the mother of Augustine, not the way she wanted it, but the way she really wanted for a son to love the Lord. God allowed this son to leave home because God knew while away from home, he's going to meet the greatest person on earth, which is Jesus. And when he came back, he was a changed man. So my friend, do you have unanswered prayers? Yes or no? That's okay. What will you say? Not my will, but thine. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice, after you pray for God's will, God's kingdom, God's priority, then it's okay. Give us this day our daily bread. What is the meaning of daily bread? You know, they like, they studied this phrase, daily bread. It is nowhere to be found in the entire New Testament except in this place. You know what it means? This word is used to describe a lady going to the market. The shopping list, the need for the day. God tells you, go to him daily. Can I tell you our problem? We don't want to come to God daily. We want God provide for my needs for the next 100 years. Most of us react to dependence on the Lord daily because we want independence, especially businessmen. Businessmen, I don't blame you. Why prayer is so counterintuitive for us? Because prayer is the declaration of dependence. Let me repeat. Prayer is the declaration of your dependence on God. Prayer is the antidote for self-sufficiency. And that's why Jesus says, you pray daily. You know, I was talking to one of our members. He's a volunteer. I asked permission from him if I can share his story. He's a volunteer. He works with the G-men, you know, to help government, the soldiers, the policemen. I said, how are you doing? He said, Pastor, it's so amazing. God provides for my needs. He said, for example, now this guy is amazing. He lives by faith. He does not receive a salary from CCF, but he's working for the Lord. He said, one day I went to Quezon City, the Miracle office. I need to pay my electric bill. And I have a hard time. So I was hoping they'll give me extension. When I went there, the girl looked at the computer. The girl said, sir, I don't know. Your bill is paid. Somebody paid for it. He said, pastor, to this day, I don't know who paid for the bill. Now, it happens not just once. All I'm saying is, is God faithful? Yes, I tell you. 
one of my hosts who took care of me while I was in Sydney told me, Pastor, because I was asking him, I said, how is your life? How is your financial life? He said, God provides. He said, do you see this car? Do you see this car I'm driving? I said, yeah. Do you know how I got this car? I'm a volunteer. I live by faith. A lady doctor from our church approached me one day. She said, you know what? The Lord told me that you need a new, you need this car. And here are the details. Go to the car shop, go to the car dealer, and get this car. Pastor, new car. Is God amazing? Now, listen, I'm not saying when you leave this place, you get an envelope, you get a new car. No, no. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying our Heavenly Father knows our needs. And it's okay to tell Him what you need. Not this. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Your greatest need, believe it or not, is spiritual needs. Forgiveness. Do you know forgiveness is so crucial? That Jesus tells us, you learn to forgive others. And in fact, if you read this prayer, at the end of this prayer, you have two verses, two extra verses that deals with forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. This word debt is not what you understand it today. In the days of Jesus, sin, trespasses, is called debts. When you sin against God, you owe Him something. So this word refers to sin. Forgive our sin. Forgive those who have trespassed against us. Notice, he added in verses 14 and 15, he added this, if you forgive others, their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Please read the next verse. If you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. In other words, forgiveness is something you need, and forgiveness is something you need to forgive others. And many Christians don't experience transformation because they disobey this verse. How many of you have experienced the forgiveness of God in your life? Raise your hands. Higher. Good. If you have experienced God's forgiveness, to forgive others is not an option. I have met Christians who don't forgive. They lie to themselves. They say, no, I've forgiven them. Do you understand the process of forgiveness? First, the hurt. It's okay to hurt. You are pained, hurt by the consequences. That's okay. But then you forgive. Once you forgive, the next phase is get together. You need to be willing to get together with the person you forgive. If you are not willing to get together with the person you forgive, you have not forgiven. And there are many Christians today. You know what they tell me? Yeah, I forgive them already. I forgive. But I don't want to spend time with them. I talk to ladies. Have you forgiven each other? Yes, yes. Okay. Let's have a meal together. Ah, no, 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 no. I don't want to have anything to do with that person. My friend, that is not forgiveness. That is self-deception. Just imagine someday when you go to heaven and God will say, I forgive you, but I will not see you. Horrible. I love this. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, many people don't understand this word temptation. This is a preventive prayer. Do not lead us into temptation. What does it mean? The word temptation is from the Greek word perasmos. 
The word perasmos can be translated two ways. One is temptation, and one is trial. What do I mean? For example, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Same word, perasmos. Lead us not into perasmos. Trial. Because trial eventually leads to temptation. Same word, based on context. When is it used as temptation? When is it used as trials? Depending on the context. For example, in James chapter 1, same chapter, let no one say when he is tempted. Perasmos. Same word. I'm being perasmos. Understand? By God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So, do not think God is the one leading us to sin. But what does it mean, the prayer? Lord, lead us not into perasmos. The idea is this. Lord, I am weak. I am not strong. I need you. Lead me so that I will not yield to the temptation that comes from trials I cannot bear. Do you understand? We will all face perasmos. The only question is this. Will you have the strength to overcome the temptation that will follow after trials? Because when you face trial, you have two options. To resolve it the ways of God or to do it your way. That's why Jesus tells us, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Watching and praying. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, I want to praise God for a sister who has gone through trials, temptations. But because she understood the power of prayer, she's able to share with us what God did. Let's welcome Malu Ortiz. Good morning. My name is Malu Ortiz. As a child growing up, I religiously went to church every Sunday and prayed every night before I slept. Ironically, these rituals didn't prevent me from going against God's will. My parents were strict, and I disregarded and disobeyed them. I learned to lie and met secretly with my boyfriend, whom I dated for three years. Clueless about what we were getting into, my boyfriend and I wed at the age of 19 because we were not emotionally equipped to handle conflicts and responsibilities, problems in my marriage relationship started to arise. We lived through a painful process of separation and starting over again, and had two sons. In 1987, I gave birth to our daughter with Down syndrome, and who was also hearing and speech impaired and physically disabled. I stayed in the marriage and tried to submit to my husband. No matter how hard I try, the fights went on and on. Eventually, in my desperation to save a failing marriage, I consulted a friend who invited me to join a Bible study group. She brought me to CCF where I met wonderful ladies who welcomed me to their group. One of the pastor's wives talked about godly wisdom, a teaching I had never heard before. She taught me to see my marriage from a different perspective and helped me realize my shortcomings as a wife. After just two months, my husband commented that he saw changes in me. He encouraged me to attend Bible study regularly. He was happy to see the transformation in my life. 
I started to enjoy being a housewife and bonding with my family. It was what I had wanted to experience in marriage, and the Lord answered my prayers. In 2003, a couple who were also parents of a child with Down syndrome invited me to join a study group on the book, The Purpose Driven Life, led by Pastor Peter and Diona. It was only then that I fully understood what Jesus had done for me, that through his death on the cross, I am forgiven and have a new life in Christ. Overwhelmed by the good news that I have been forgiven, I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. From that day on, my life was never the same. I continued to grow in understanding God's Word and looked forward to reading it every day. I began to develop a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. However, in 2007, my marriage failed once again. I experienced extreme physical pain and grief over losing my husband. But this situation drove me back to the basics of my faith in God. I had only two options. I could curse God and give up, or I could trust God and draw strength from Him to continue. I had to fully surrender my husband to the Lord. I needed to forgive him because I too have sinned. Realizing that I could neither control him nor my own circumstances, I endeavored to continue to fulfill my duties as a wife, and I constantly pray for him. Painful as it was and is, I had to release my husband completely to God. Sometimes life doesn't turn out the way we want it to. God gave me a husband, but not a successful marriage. He gave me a daughter, but she has a disability. I'm reminded of Job, who was blameless before God, but experienced great losses and trials. Although, unlike him, I made bad decisions in the past, my heart is comforted that my Heavenly Father strengthens and carries me through all the pain and hurt. By God's grace, these trials have prepared me to be a channel of blessing to others. I'm now a graduate of JLC4, leading a Bible study D group we call The Praying Wives, a volunteer at the CCF Unique Special Needs Ministry and the Pastoral Care Ministry. God continues to equip me as I serve Him, enabling Him enabling me to pursue studies that allowed me to help others through counseling and discipleship. God commissioned me to write five inspirational books about God's purpose for creating people with disability, for women going through marital problems, and inner beauty. The Lord continues to expand my borders, using me as a speaker in various churches, schools, and organizations, encouraging PWD families and women of all walks of life, giving hope through Jesus Christ. Currently, I am a co-host on a radio program and soon on a TV program called God is Able, where we advocate people affected by disability. The Bible says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose, Romans 8.28. God allowed me to experience trials in my marriage and family so that His purpose for my life will be fulfilled. The Lord may not have given me what I've been praying for in my terms, but He has faithfully been faithfully to sustain me throughout these ordeals and has strengthened my faith. Life on earth is not about our happiness or comfort 
or personal agenda. It's all about God. My life on earth is a preparation and training for the rest of my eternal life with my Heavenly Father. In His perfect time, He will give me beauty for ashes. To God be all the glory and praise. Praise God. Praise God. In closing, let's read this together. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver. Do you know the word deliver? You know what it means? Literally, to carry me through. You know, sometimes we are weak. Notice the pronoun. It's all plural. Lead us not. Deliver us. In other words, when you pray, you don't pray for yourself. You pray for each other. The pronoun in this prayer is about us. Give us this day our daily bread. So, do you care for other people? Give us. You cannot pray that prayer if you're lazy. People who do not work, who do not put God first, how can you say, give us this day our daily bread when you are not working, when you are dishonest? Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. How can you pray that prayer if you have bitterness? How can you pray, lead us not into trials, temptation, but deliver us? How can you pray that prayer when you put yourself in places of temptations? So this prayer will really transform our lives. It changes your perspective, it changes your priorities, and it changes the place of your confidence, your security. I love this last phrase. I want, you to, I want all of us to pray for each other, deliver us. Let me just close with a, with a true story. An OMF missionary doctor was in Africa, and his job is to go to the town twice a month. Every two weeks, he goes to town to buy supplies, and then he goes back to the tribal area. He's a doctor. One day, on his way to the city to buy stuff, he saw two men fighting, and one was severely wounded. So he took care of the man. When the man got well, a few weeks later, the man said, do you know, we wanted to kill you because we know you have money. But when we went to your camp, we saw 27 guards guarding your house. This doctor said, we don't have guards. We cannot afford to have guards. Now, he was giving this testimony back in the States. While he was giving the story, a man stood up from the church. The man said, sir, sorry to interrupt you. When did that happen? So he gave the date. And the man said, on that very same date, well, it's nighttime in your house. It's daytime in the States. He said, I was going to play golf. I put my golf bag in the car. On my way, the Lord burdened me. The Lord gave me a burden to pray for you. So I texted the church that we will have a prayer gathering just for you. And he asked the church members, how many of you were in that prayer meeting for this doctor? You know how many men stood up? Exactly 27 men. The story is this. The spirit world is as real as the physical world. Prayer changes things. Never take prayer for granted. Let's bow our heads and pray. Some of you, I know some of you need prayer, but perhaps there are some of you here, you never have a relationship. You never had that relationship. God is not your father. You cannot pray, really, our father. 
Because you don't know God is your Father. If you want me to pray for you right now, you want to make God your Father, intimate Father, will you raise your hands? I want to pray for you. Remember, you raise your hands because you are not yet sure God is your Father and you want to become the children of God. If that's your desire, I want you to raise your hands higher. Praise God. Today, you want to be sure you will belong, you will become a child of God. Higher, please, higher. All right. Those of you with your hands raised up, keep them up and pray with me. Okay? Wherever you are, raise your hands up and pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm not yet sure I belong to you. Today, I surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, I invite you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Today, I humble myself and recognize you and ask you not just to be my Savior, but to be my King, to be my Lord. Change my heart. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Father God in heaven, I just thank you for all the men and women who have raised their hands. As I pray for them today, remind them, this is the prayer that will change our lives because we have relationship with you. Help all the people of this congregation and all of those who are watching us in the internet pray this prayer, the model prayer, the idea of realizing, Lord, you are our Father. Our priority, Lord, should be your kingdom, your glory, and your will. And lastly, Lord, to trust you that you will provide for our needs spiritual, physical protection, spiritual protection. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, folks. Connect with CCF through the following websites. Jumpstart your spiritual journey by joining a small group. We are so blessed you were able to join us today. God bless and see you next time.